NRS 176.165 deals with motions to withdraw a plea. Now, it's not uncommon for people, particularly if they're in custody, to go into court and the court may say or the DA may make an offer that says, if you plead guilty, you'll be released from custody. And so often uh, people will enter into a plea because they're in, in jail and they very much want to get out. And then they get out of custody and they have a sentencing coming up and then they want to withdraw the plea. Courts don't like it when defendants seek to withdraw pleas because it makes it very difficult for the system to work if people are entering into pleas and then changing their mind and wanting to get out of it. Then November 13th, 2006, you get arrested. Yeah, I get arrested. And a year later, November 16th, 2007, you get sentenced to 26 years. I think I got arrested on the 16th also. Um, November 16th, because I remember it was one year later I was sentenced. So yeah, yeah, November 16th, I got arrested. Okay. When you get arrested, uh, what were you officially charged with? Um, bank fraud, conspiracy to commit bank fraud, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, uh, government document fraud, social security fraud, um, counterfeiting document, uh, social security documents, uh, Passport fraud, use of a false passport, aggravated identity theft. Um, was it forgery or government document fraud and wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud? And there may be some other stuff in there. They got a bunch of little other stuff. Okay. And when you were initially arrested, how many years were you facing? I mean, the newspaper, one newspaper said I was facing 154 years and another one said like 54 years or something like that. Um, But to be honest, that's like if they were to stack the charges, you plead guilty that they typically run them all, you know, concurrently. So I was really facing 32 years. My PSI said 32 years to life was what I could have been sentenced to. So when you get arrested, you're 37 years old right. uh, in 2006. A year later, you get sentenced to 26 years. Now, was that a plea deal or did you actually go to trial? No, no. No. <laughs> you're guilty. You don't go to trial. That's a mistake. Um, I mean... You could be innocent and you got about a 50% chance of being found guilty at trial. So, no, I mean, I'm, I'm as guilty as sin. I, I got nothing I can do. I, I get grabbed and my, my lawyer's advice to me was tell them everything they want to know and hope for the best. Because you're looking at 
32 years of life. You're, you're done. So I, the, I agree to be uh, interviewed by the FBI and the Secret Service, um, fully cooperate, fucking no problem ratting out every single fucking person I know to try and get my 32 years down. Because, I mean, I'm not going to fucking prison. And everybody had already okay. told on me. So, fuck them. You know, there okay. is, there's just... So, the people, the people that you told on, how many years did they all get? None. None. Oh, so because it, you were the ringleader? Because they'd already cooperated... And by the time they're interviewing me, the entire market is starting to collapse. So I was indicted along with like 13 other people. None of those people were ever prosecuted. Two people did time. One person was uh, named uh, Allison Arnold. She only did time because... When I took off on the run, the FBI was in Tampa investigating. She actually goes to the FBI and says, listen, I did this, 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 and this. And I want to plead guilty and go to jail so I can get it over with. And they told her, okay, no problem. Tell us everything about Cox, what he did. So she cooperates fully. And she thought, you know, they would take that in consideration. She may not go to jail. She'd only go for a short time. Well, at the very last minute, they pull her plea deal because I hadn't been caught yet. She goes to prison and they give her like 30 months or something. This is a chick that made no money. She was had a minor role. 30 months, gets hit with a chunk of money, I don't know, two, three hundred thousand dollars that she never saw. And she goes to prison. So, um, listen, nicest person ever. Never should have gone to prison. So the other person that went to prison was the, uh, that guy, Eric, that signed for James Red. He was already on federal probation for a drug charge. So when the FBI comes to interview him, he says, yeah. Shout out to the banks for buying my house. That's right. I really leveraged other people's money in real time to acquire assets. That's deep. Now I own this property free and clear because I bought it with cash off of my charge card, credit card, or a business credit card with 0% APR that don't show my personal credit report. But now my trade line business is going, that's gonna pay that money back. So in the meantime, I sit back, even the rents that come off of that property, I just collect and sit to the side, that's mine. My whole goal is that anything that I touch is for my kids. If I own something and I touch it, that money that come off of it is for my kids. I'm not refining and paying it back. My daughter gonna need that eventually. I'm not going into debt. I'm not passing them that. My whole goal is to be able to pass them wealth yeah. at all means. And that's the thing is when I said our mindset is the 
only liability we got if we don't make our mindset into an asset. If you don't have an a asset-driven mindset, you lose. You let people say, don't do this and don't do that. I find a way to do everything. Mm, I like it. I like it. All right, so, one, I want to know how you, how you acquired this, this information. Like, where did you get it from? Um, but side note, how many of those suits you got? Because I know you don't wear the same suit. Unless you got, like, a closet full of them like Batman. <laughs> Cause so, you always got the blue suit on, so, and then I'm thinking, okay, you got the you got the blue rolls out there, and I'm like, okay, well, blue is this color. It got to be a, just okay. Walk me through this 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 blue so, situation you got going on. You just called me out for wearing the same suit. Listen, yeah, yeah, I know you so, like Batman, bro. You just got no, a closet no, listen, full of them joints. Literally, right? What I did was, um, it was an accident. So. I went to go and get a suit. I had a speaking engagement. BYOB with Drew, right? Yeah, shout Literally out to Drew. Drew. Yeah, shout out to Drew, right? My first ever speaking engagement at that. Double really? shout out to Drew. <laughs> Listen, right? So I get on the stage with Drew. So I go, and I go. It's my first speaking engagement. I don't know what to do. I said, you know what? Everything has to be statement. You have to murder to make yourself a staple. Murder when you get on the stage. Cool, so I go suit shopping. And what sticks out the, the loudest? Blue. Blue. Say blue suit, white shirt, red tie. Mm -hmm. Sticks out. Boom. I go, okay. And I and I questioned it. And I said, and I asked Instagram, do I go with the navy power suit or do I go with the blue? They was like, ooh, that blue loud. Go with the blue. I said, cool, I'm not doing what y'all said. So I'm going with the blue. <laughs> right? Went with it. Everybody remembered me from the suit. So I said, okay, whenever I speak, I'm wearing the suit. Hindsight, it's recession-proof blue. Right. So this is the color. This is my logo color. So the so, suit came first. The, the lo what came first, the logo or the suit? Chicken or the egg? The logo came first. Okay. So the logo <laughs> was the logo came first, right? No, no. I'm lying. The suit came first because I didn't even, Recession Proof wasn't a name yet when I did BYOB. It's not on my, the suit came before the God, logo. God. So the logo came and, I, and it was either orange or blue. You know the meanings behind the colors. And I go, okay, do I want to do orange or do I want to do blue? And it's funny looking at us talk. I went with blue. So, and then it, kind of combined now to the point to where people always ask me for my shirts and I said the shirts are earned what you, do you mean? my recession proof shirts you can't buy you have to earn them hmm. you have to be a part of our community this is not something you can walk around and put on your back if you're not a part of this and understand how we think. When I printed your shirts, I should've just kept one. You should've, you should've. <laughs> you definitely should've, right? Because they're not for sale. Right. But I say, you know, what we gonna do is that we talk about luxury brands and we talk about the things that we don't invest in. And I said, being as a person who promotes luxury things, I'm not gonna start and sell t-shirts. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna make suits. So you sell those suits? You the one who's been, yeah. So now I'm selling these suits, <laughs> right? 
So, and no, now, how long have you been selling suits? What? What? Hold no, on. This, this is coming now. So I haven't even told anybody. That's why, you know, I haven't even told anybody that I'm going to start selling them. So now I purposely wear them everywhere I go. Whenever I'm getting on the camera or something, something big, I got my recession-proof blue gotcha, suit. Gotcha, gotcha. So, See, we, we pulled it out. We pulled yeah, it yeah. out. Man. So that's what we go have. So now we got suits for sale. Um, you know, and it's just a staple suit. One that when you present, when you when you catch an attention, something that means something, it's gonna be a staple. That is something that uh, 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 when you speak, people won't forget the dude in the blue suit. Are you only gonna be selling blue suits? Only blue. This is That's blue. hard. This is the only color. This is it. That's hard. You gotta get your own color, like Cameron. Yeah, yeah. So it's, this is it. Evictions and convictions. At that point, when I realized that CoreLogic is the company that verifies evictions and convictions, I knew I said, listen, you mean to tell me that I can fix somebody's credit, but they still get the denial? Well, if I opt out of CoreLogic, if you got an eviction, you still can get the approval. If um, you got a conviction, you can get the approval because I never gave them permission to share that data and that information. So now when you go to get an apartment, now, right, somebody who's in a position, they go, listen, well, I can help people get apartments. So if you understand how to clean your credit and opt out of the secondary bureaus, you opt out of core logics. Now you can go and get an approval for apartment. Because mm -hmm. that's a big thing that holds people from getting apartments is there. Yep. So essentially like this, I'll break down the whole blueprint. This is what you're going to do is that you're going to opt out and, and suppress your core logics. Um, Lexus, Nexus, SageStream, ARS, Innovis. You're going to suppress all of those. Once you suppress those, now you're going to force the credit bureaus to do an investigation with a 609 letter. So you use a 609 dispute letter. When you send that 609 dispute letter in, it's going to make them either verify that this account is accurate and verify that it belongs to you. Well, now, since they don't have anybody to check the accuracies with, they're going to now have to do an investigation. Most likely, most of the things, 60 to 70 times, 60 to 70 percent of the negative items get removed because you already removed the, the, the middleman company who's verifying everything. So now once you do that, when you go to apply for apartments, you now can go and apply. And if you've ever been evicted, it's not going to show up because you suppress uh, core logics. And if you got a felony on your background, it's not going to show up because you've um, suppressed the core logic company. But like, how do you suppress it? Like, you have, yeah. how do you anyway, what's the time length on the suppression? Does that happen? So suppress you, you basically what you do is freeze the report and opt out of them report uh, showing and they do it indefinitely until you opt back in. So you like call them and say, I want to opt out. Yeah, so you can call them, you could call, or you could do it online. Hmm. So if you like Google, um, like LexisNexis opt out, you can Google it and it'll pop up and take you to the form to actually opt out of that report. Good to know. Did you know that, Troy? I did not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a lot of things today that we all, <laughs> we all go learn together. People don't understand. <laughs> Listen, right? In the community, that's one of the dope things is that I tell people, listen, that's a business in itself, right? We don't know about the secondary bureaus. So you mean to tell me, I say, listen, you mean to tell me that 
there's companies out there that do all this information. I say, well, listen, one company, CoreLogic, gives us a whole business model because if I opt out of that, I can now help people clean their credit. Mm -hmm. That's a service. I can now help you get an apartment. That's a service. I can bundle it together if I want. But listen, I help you get an apartment. Now, what else do I do? If I know I'm helping people get into condos, listen, I'm going to find the newest building that's not fully occupied. and I'm going to send people there. Well, after three or four people going and be like, yo, him 500 sent me in here to get an apartment. They're going to kind of get familiar and be wondering who's him 500. And then I show up with gift cards and trinkets and nice things. And I build the relationship and I say, hey, listen, now what I do is I'm an apartment specialist. I just help people find apartments and get into the city, especially new condos, things like this, and just ensure that they can get the approval when they come. Have my people been getting approved? Yes. Cool. Boom. Nice to meet you. Set this set the relationship up. Guess what happens? Now I get a referral fee from the the leasing agent. Now I send it directly to the leasing agent. She's going to want to to get paid for getting people to lease. Well, guess what? Now I get paid for helping people get the apartment from the leasing agent. You've been paid four times already. That's three times. Three times. (laughs) I got paid from the client Mm -hmm. for helping them with their credit. Yep. I got paid for helping them get the apartment, making sure everything was approved, make sure to get the approval. Then I get the referral fee from the leasing agent. Okay. Now, I'm pretty much responsible for helping everybody get apartments in the city. I become penthouse poppy. Imagine, <laughs> right? Trademark that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Listen, right. Yeah, trademark it, right? <laughs> so I become penthouse poppy. So now I'm I'm in front of all the fly buildings, right? I'm in front of all the fly buildings. I'm, I'm in the penthouses and the condos. But what's the biggest thing when it comes to these condos? Furniture, Hmm. right? So now a lot of people overlook it and don't realize furniture has one of the biggest markups, right? Furniture's markup is ridiculous. So then I go to to, to one of the furniture stores, the mom and pop furniture stores in the area. Guess what they do? Financing. You can fund, you can finance furniture. It's true. So now guess what? I go and build a relationship. Listen, what does it take to get $10,000 in furniture, Right. I need a $10,000 approval. Let me see what that credit report need to look like. What does this need to look like, this approval process? Now, when I get people apartments, I'm going to send you to the local furniture store to now even get the furniture. I'm not going to charge. And then those people, all, almost all those people have personality defects. So you just have to deal with people. You know, he starts spinning some, uh, Lugo would start spinning some some BS lie that everybody at the table sitting there thinking, come on, man, stop. That never happened. That's bullshit. But come on, stop it. And we're all glancing at each other going, okay, okay. You don't really call the guy out on it because what does it matter? You don't really, you don't want to start building up enemies. So Lugo and I were, we hung out, not all the time, but, but, Quite a while. Now the guy that called me left me a voicemail. Colby, you can leave all this in here. Like if, like all this stuff, even me talking to you, I don't care if you leave it in or not. It's irrelevant. So Colby is my video editor and nobody expects professionalism from me. So to sit here and think, oh, I got to 
clip that and make sure that he looks good here or that it, 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 it's bad because he clipped. Uh, nobody cares. I don't care. Run with it. Uh, so, back to the story. Regardless of Lugo's mental issues or, or, or his, the fact that he lied constantly, he did know what he was talking about a lot of times. And, and I liked him. He was a nice guy. I mean, it's, I understand it's like saying, you know, that, uh, you used to you know, eat lunch with uh, Joseph Stalin. And yeah, sure. He wiped out, you know, eight to 10 million, you know, Russian civilians and, and millions and millions of, uh, of, you know, people died and were put in gulags and whatever. You know, you say, yeah, but you know what? He's a pretty nice guy, you know, in person. So what I'm saying is, yeah, he had some issues, but he was always cool to me. Uh, I would say that it was, we were pretty, we were cool right up till he left. You know, and when he left, I remember he was like, bro, I'm going to reach out to you. Uh, I'm going to put money on your books. I'm going to hang out with you. And it, his wife actually put money on my books one time, once or twice. Like he actually sent me, like sent me money. I mean, Lugo had some money. Like whatever he did, his wife ended up, I think, keeping a lot of that money and he went to prison. So Lugo got caught, I want to say it was 2014 or 15, got a couple of years for running the tax scam. Uh, through his own, one of his own businesses. Then he, he, what else happened? Uh, then he got out. I want to say he got out in 2000 and early 2018. Uh, he got out in early 2018 because he got out like about a year or so before I did. So let's say that, say early, early 2018. Well, I never really heard from him again. I don't know if I got a letter or whatever. His wife had actually put money on my books, but that was while he was there in prison, like together. Like guys will put money on their books because they've got too much money. You can only, you have a spending limit for commissary. So if you can only spend three or $400 a month on commissary, you'll have somebody put money on another inmate's books and he can buy you commissary. And Lugo was a big guy. So uh, his wife put money on my books and I got to keep some of the money and then I, I bought him some stuff and handed him some stuff and that happened a few times. And uh he said he was going to keep in touch with me. I don't know if he ever sent me a letter. I don't think I ever really heard from him again. Regardless, I ended up getting out of prison. And when I got out of the halfway house, so like a year and a half later, I get out of the halfway house. This, this is July 2000 and 2019. So he got out in early 2018. I got out in 2019. When I got out of the halfway house, I didn't hear from him or anything. Like, I didn't expect, I really honestly never expected to hear from this guy again, ever. And I, you know, went about my, my, my life and everything's fine. 
Well, I would say late 2020. In late 2020, so a, over a year, year and a, a year and change later, in late, this is only what six months ago. I would say it was. I want it was. It was like um, September, probably September. I I get a I get a, a message in Messenger from from. A guy named, uh, what, what is his, uh, I think it was like Ricky Williams or Rick Williams. So I get a Rick Williams and he's like, hey bro, what's up? I've been looking for you. Uh, here's my phone number. Give me a call. You know, hey crazy. I remember he called me. He's like, hey crazy man, give me a call. And I was like, Will, Rick Williams, Ricky Williams. And I, 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 I didn't, I don't even know who that is. But I looked at the picture and then I went to his Facebook and I was like, whoa, it was Lugo. And so I ended up talking to him. He, he, I think he ended up calling me. The defense to willful destruction of evidence might be that you lack the intent to get rid of evidence. For example, if uh, if your partner came home and unbeknownst to you, they had uh, clothing that was used during the commission of a robbery or a firearm that they placed in the garbage and you simply threw the garbage out. But you didn't know that there was something of evidentiary value in the garbage. You would not be guilty of willfully destroying evidence. Additionally, you cannot be successfully prosecuted for willful destruction of evidence if the item which was destroyed had no evidentiary value in court. Oftentimes in domestic violence cases, the law enforcement agency has a statement from the accuser but no one's heard the defendant's side of the story. So it's really important that we sit down with an accused in a domestic violence situation, get their side of the story. We can then present that side of the story to the district attorney's office, oftentimes resulting in either a dismissal or a reduction in the charges. It really is the Wild West here in the state of Nevada when it comes to the right to carry firearms. We are an open carry state, which means that anyone who has the lawful right to possess a firearm can openly carry a firearm on their person as long as it's not concealed. There are limitations about certain places that you can't bring a firearm, like for example, a courthouse. But otherwise, you can carry an open firearm on your person. We are also a shall-issue state when it comes to carrying a concealed weapon, which means that if you take a course and you demonstrate your proficiency with firearms, then the state must issue you a permit to carry a concealed weapon. Starting in 2011, you need a separate permit to carry a semi-automatic firearm, but if you take the course and you demonstrate your proficiency, the state must issue you that permit.
Chief Keef is one of the most iconic rappers in hip-hop history. At only 15 years old, the Southside Chicago rapper took the rap game by storm after being one of the first people to really put Chicago drill music on the map. Chief Keef's demonic style of hip-hop was like nothing we've ever seen before and had everyone from the streets all the way to the suburbs anxiously awaiting for the next Chief Keef record to be released. But it wasn't just the sound of the music that created all this hype around Chief Keef and the Chicago drill scene. It was rather the actual lyrics that he was saying in his music. It was all authentic. Nobody even questioned it for a second. All it took was 30 seconds of a Chief Keef song and a music video to figure out that Sosa was about that life. Whether he did the dirt himself or was around people who did, everyone knew that there wasn't any lies being told in his music. And Keefe and his affiliates have the rap sheet to prove it. Here is an exclusive inside look at the criminal history of Chief Keefe. Chief Keefe's first documented run-in with the law happened at the age of 15 on January 27, 2011. Details are scarce on this arrest, but from what the charges say, a young Sosa was either caught at the trap house or in the process of selling from what was produced from the trap house. Whatever it was, Chief Keefe was detained in the act and was charged with manufacture and delivery of heroin near a school, public housing building, or park. Chief was charged with a Class X felony, but keep in mind he was only 15 at the time, which obviously made him a minor. In Chicago, juvenile offenders are found to be delinquent of charges rather than guilty of the charges. Sosa was let out of jail, but sentenced to home confinement on the charge. The second arrest of Chief Keefe happened on December 2nd, 2011, almost a year after his first arrest. Sources say that the police responded to a call of shots fired in the 6100 block of South Indiana Avenue. When officers arrived, they spotted Chief Keefe walking out of the front door of his grandma's apartment complex in the 6100 block of South Michigan Avenue, holding a coat over his hands that were in front of his waistband. Officers tried to stop and question the chief, but instead of cooperating, Sosa dropped the coat, flashed a blue steel handgun, and sprinted through the vacant lot next door to the apartments. Several officers immediately gave chase to the fleeing chief, who allegedly would stop and turn towards the police and point his pistol at the officers. This caused the officers to pull out their weapons as well, and even though Sosa did not shoot at the officers, the officers shot at him multiple times, but missed. After shots were fired, Chief Keefe continued running for his life before other officers caught him a half a block away in an alley of the 6100 block of South Indiana Avenue. One officer claimed to have suffered multiple bruises in the act of trying to detain the chief. They also alleged that Chief Keefe ditched his pistol throughout the chase, but it was soon recovered moments later, completely loaded and ready to go. 
Chief Keefe was charged with four felonies for this incident, which included three counts of aggravated assault with a firearm on an officer and aggravated unlawful use of a weapon. They also charged the chief with a misdemeanor charge of resisting arrest. Sosa was held in the Cook County Juvenile Detention Center for a good while until the judge sentenced the chief to house arrest at his grandma's house. This next incident wasn't an arrest, but rather a pretty well-known investigation involving Chief Keefe about a murder of a rival rapper, Lil Jojo. For those of you who are unaware, Chief Keefe and the rest of GBE were going back and forth with a rival rapper named Lil Jojo. Just days before the tragic slang of Lil Jojo, a video went viral of one of Chief Keefe's good friends, Lil Reese, threatening to kill Lil Jojo after Jojo drove by their neighborhood, taunting them. Later that week, Jojo was killed while riding his bike. Chief Keefe took to Twitter the day after the incident, tweeting, It's sad because Jojo just wanted to be like us. Hashtag LMAO. Despite the clear taunting online, no charges were filed. It is possible that no charges were filed due to Chief Keefe claiming a hacker tweeted those tweets, but JoJo's brother begs to differ. Whatever the case may be, JoJo's murder is still unsolved to this day. After a few months of staying out of trouble, Chief Keefe was ordered back into court for a probation violation stemming from a previous gun conviction. Authorities say that Keefe went to a gun range for a music video shoot in New York. Chief Keefe apparently wasn't allowed to be anywhere near firearms as one of the conditions of his probation, so when the judge found out about this, he wasn't happy. The judge sentenced Keefe to 60 days in juvenile detention. At the sentencing, Chief Keefe said to the judge, I'm a very good-hearted person, and I'm sorry for anything I've done wrong. Give me a chance. And then, three months after his last sentencing, Chief Keefe was arrested yet again in Atlanta for disorderly conduct after a security guard at Lay Meridian Atlanta Perimeter Hotel called 911 on the chief after claiming he was rolling. Don't honestly be surprised. Um, I think this is, to be honest with you, overcharging. You know, I, I think it's because she's a celebrity. So now, if you've had any confusion about what Cardi B has been charged with, how much time she can get, how much time she'll likely get, I hope I've answered all those questions. Now, my name is Nate, lawyer, YouTuber, and I hope this video was helpful. If it's your first time here, don't forget, hit that subscribe button. I try to do videos at least three to four times a week. If you like this video and you like any of my other stuff, consider subscribing to the channel and even consider becoming a Patreon. I'd appreciate it. My name is Nate, lawyer, YouTuber, and as always, I just hooked you up. As we all should pretty much know by now, Las Vegas is Disneyland for adults only. One of the benefits of you coming here is that a lot of things that are illegal in other states, cities, and countries, you could do here 100% legally. So in this video, I'm going to give you guys a few examples 
of things that are illegal in other states that you can do here 100% legally. So stay tuned. So you guys know I absolutely had to start with cannabis. So ever since the year 2000, cannabis has been legal in the state of Nevada. Not only is it legal, you could actually grow it in your backyard, in your own house, if you want to, if you're a Nevada resident. Now to some, that might sound too good to be true because there's a lot of restrictions with it. For example, you are definitely not allowed to smoke inside of resorts, casinos, or even in your hotel room. You are actually only legally allowed to smoke cannabis inside of your private residence. So your hotel room is not considered a private residence. The strip is not considered a private residence. So you could possibly get arrested. I recommend that you go to the parking lot of wherever casino you're in go to the parking lot and smoke in the stairs. However, do that at your own risk. You are responsible if you get in trouble or not. Another place that you could also go to is Nuvu Cannabis Marketplace. It is the only, I repeat, the only weed smoking lounge in the entire country. For those of you guys who want to know more about Nuvu, make sure you watch my previous video right here. I have an entire segment about it. Another thing that is absolutely legal in Nevada is that you could buy alcohol at convenience stores, supermarkets, or pretty much anywhere. So this means you could literally go to CVS and go buy a bottle of Hennessy or buy a bottle of Ciroc. This is pretty much unheard of anywhere in the entire United States. I know in Europe, especially Russia, they allow you to do it. But in the United States, it's pretty much a no-no to buy alcohol at a convenience store or at a supermarket. But you can do that here 100% legally. Speaking of alcohol, there is absolutely no open container laws in Las Vegas. That means you can openly drink your alcohol anywhere you want. You don't have to, you don't have to buy a bottle and then go to your hotel room and drink it all, then go out. Now, here you can absolutely take your alcohol out in public, you won't get arrested for it. Keep in mind, the Las Vegas Strip have a no glass policy, so you cannot have any glass containers on the Las Vegas Strip. So if you want to bring your bottle, just get a jug, just get a jug of water or something, pour it out, and then fill your alcohol with it and bring it with you everywhere you go. I always recommend the tourists to go to Walmart or CVS, buy alcohol there and take it with you as you go around the strip and just put it in a water bottle or something. So you always have access to your alcohol while having to go back to your hotel room. That being said, we do have an open container rule when it comes to driving. You cannot drive with open container. You will definitely get fined or even arrested. Also, the same thing goes for taxis and Ubers. You are not allowed to bring your drinks in there. Unless the taxi guy or the Uber is pretty much cool and doesn't really care. Um, the only exception is with limos. 
Limo services usually have a permit that allows them to carry alcohol up there. Also, keep this in mind as well, you cannot have an open container 1,000 feet from where you bought it from. So if you bought it, so if you buy it from a CVS, you cannot drink it within a thousand feet from there. You have to transfer it to a different container. For those of you guys who like to gamble and to drink alcohol at any time, this place is for you. So in Las Vegas, you absolutely could gamble or drink at any time of the day it doesn't matter in other states and countries you are restricted but in las vegas there's no rule stopping you from drinking you can drink or gamble 24 7 nobody's going to stop you most places the majority of places sell alcohol 24 7 they never close some nightclubs don't even close until 10 a.m also some bars are 24 7. So literally when you come here, you can go to Buffalo Wild Wings at 8 a.m. right after you got out the club and order some beers and have fun with the guys. A lot of people that work in the nightlife industry, as myself, we would go get drinks after work or go get a bite to eat after work. This is really doable in Las Vegas since everything is 24 seven. Las Vegas is pretty much the only city that I know. 70-30 plan. Uh, I'm on uh, whatever the highest risk, whatever 2,500, deductible, could care less. Let's get it. Cause that's what, and when you get a rental car license and you actually get a uh, fleet insurance and all that stuff like that, you can't use, you can't do a claim anyway for five years. Or are they gonna raise it too high? They gonna raise it so high you gotta go out of business or are they just gonna drop you? So I'm used to paying out of pocket or being creative, you know what I'm saying, with my insurance game, you know what I mean? So I got money for those depreciation of value claims. I can use that to go ahead and take care of that thing, get that thing together. Got you. Okay, so walk me through um, getting off of Turo, like the personal. So this is just you, because I had somebody hit me and was like, yo, Dave, I just want to borrow your joint, man. And I'm like, yeah, do it through Turo. He's like, no, nah, I want to put all my money up on Turo. Right. Well, then you don't want to deal with them anyway. And when it comes to the type of cars you got. So you got some pretty nice cars. You got the Corvettes and stuff like that. You Anybody who don't want to pay what Turo is paying, mm -hmm. it's cheap because I charge way more. I get deposits. Mandatory. The, to my smallest car. Uh, my, my like the economy cars, I get a five hundred dollar deposit, even when they're on a week to weeks, right? right. When I get uh, my regular cars, anything past uh, that five hundred dollar is a thousand dollar deposit mm. for every car. Corvette, thousand dollar deposit. You know, Range Rover, thousand dollar deposit. Mandatory. If they can't afford that, they don't need to be shopping with me because you ain't gonna be able to handle business when it's go time. Yeah. So do you want to aim for those customers who do got that type of money? And understand that this is an actual asset that sure. you care about. Gotcha. And those people tend to treat your cars better anyway. So you don't want to even aim for the guys who say, like, I don't want to pay Toro. If they said that. Yeah. Now, if they just want to say, I want to give you money versus Toro, that's a totally different yeah, subject. No, I, I got some people that uh, yeah. they got the money. It's just... Yeah, it's a totally different subject. They want to just shop with you. It's different. But if they said what you said, I don't want to get... Right. Okay. <laughs> you don't want to shop with me right. either. So that's kind of how I see that. But... um. No, you can get off the app. You just want to get um, 
agreements. She want to get you a nice contract. What should what should this? Uh, first of all, do you have the contracts in your course? Yeah. Okay. So cool. it's a it's in the tab underneath, so you can actually okay. see a, a sample of okay. a rental car agreement. So if you got a rental car agreement, you're gonna get you know all of the information on the car, all the information on the person, their phone number, all of that stuff, email address, everything, all the good stuff. And it's got all of the things that you need, the essentials, like what happens if this happens, all of that, the insurance. Oh, so, so you you have the the document, the joint in your uh, in your uh, your course. It has all, it says all the stuff that you needed. Yeah, to it's say. a it's a sample. Okay. It's a sample of what you should want to use. Gotcha. Right. So I mean, clearly you can get creative with that. So everybody has their own particular smoking fees, late fees are going to be in there, late pickup fees, all of these things. You got to have this. Fees are key. Trust me, believe me, because all of that stuff that you don't charge for, you're going to have to pay for yourself. It's not mm. worth it. So make sure you cover yourself and make sure you're on. Anytime you do a rental, your pre-trip is going to determine your end. If you real thorough on your pre-trip, what's pre-trip? Like when before they take the car. Yeah. If you thorough. Man, you ain't going to handle too much problems with somebody wanting to pay you. They're going to feel like they're obligated to pay you because you're that thorough. So mm. I say that, I'm going to give you an example. So my wheel trick, it's not a trick, but it's just something that happens every single trip. Every trip, it's one, one in 200 that it doesn't happen. So curb rash, I know you've probably seen that. You've been running your cars out. You, yes. you got curb rash yeah, in your cars already? Just in my, my. The, Guarantee. Yeah, yo, my Corvette, look, the joint. I, look, I just looked at it the other day. Like, what's up with exactly. this Exactly. So it's, it's guaranteed. So that right there, if you thorough on your pre-trip, you show all four wheels, I make them rub the ring. There's no curb rash on this car, right? So when it comes back and I charge them the 250 that I charge them for curb rash damage, if it's less than three inches, if it's more than three inches, they got to pay for the whole wheel. But if it's less than three inches, 250, every trip per wheel, and I go through every wheel, one, two, three, four, all of them good, because I get them fixed. I got a wheel guy. You got to get a good wheel guy. So I get them I mean, fixed. It's your wheel guy. Yeah, yeah, it's 100. He charged 100, I charge 250, it's 150 on every trip. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed. You feel me? Yeah. So what we do is, no, Toro will give it to you. Toro will give it to you? Yeah, Tor- well, yeah, we'll talk about that. Turn will give it to you, but the thing about it is, these are things you want to handle uh, through arbitration. Make them have a firm understanding of it. And so, basically what we do is, we show all four wheels, we make sure. Toro won't give it to you if it's less than three inches. Right. If it's more than three inches, they will replace your whole wheel. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, if it's less than three inches, they don't, Toro doesn't want to cover scratch it. scratch on the rim, less than three inches, Toro is not going to pay for not it. Not going to pay for it. But More you make three. them pay for it regardless. Regardless. And they're going to agree before they take the car. Before they take it. If they're not agreeing to that, then what are we talking about? You trying to run my car? I'll cancel the trip. You feel what I'm saying? And they feel obligated to pay because of how I do it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, I just want my cars to come back exactly how they went out. I'll be like, do you see these wheels? They, I like these wheels like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll be like, is one good? Yeah, it is.